Hello everyone, Fernanda here, Radio Outcast co-creator and director. We have a special episode for you all today and some big announcements. Before we jump into things, Radio Outcast is currently gearing up for season two, but we could really use your help. If you can, consider sharing or donating our season two Indiegogo campaign, which you can find in the show notes down below. You can get some really cool exclusive perks by donating, including the full score of season one composed by Samuel Kinsella, a poster of the purple fields and horse clouds painted by the girl in the attic and the pilot illustrated by Katie Hughes, a Radio Outcast t-shirt, or you may even be able to not only create and name a god in the Pantheon, but you could even voice them in season two. To promote the season two campaign, JT and I, the co-creators, will be live streaming something different every Friday until the campaign ends. We just played Stardew Valley while answering questions about the show's characters, and this week, we will be answering even more questions while doing a duo cooking stream all on twitch.tv slash radio outcast. It'll be a chill, fun time, and you should really come join us. This Q&A, lovingly called a Q&An, in honor of our host, was originally published on our Patreon and YouTube. If you have questions you'd like the casting crew to answer, feel free to DM us on our socials and it may be included in our next Q&A. Alrighty, that's it for me. Enjoy! Hello everyone, and welcome to the very first Q&A. I'm a producer on Radio Outcast and your host, Anne. Alright, so let's start with some questions just for the cast. Number one. What has been your greatest challenge in playing your character or characters, and what strategies do you use to overcome it? My greatest challenge with playing Jesse most definitely was that accent, which I think is pretty obvious. Jesse's from Kansas, so he's not even from the South-South, the part that I'm from, because I'm from like Georgia, around there, around that way. So that was a little bit difficult for me um, with getting through the words and the script and stuff whilst recording uh, just to keep in mind that I needed to keep that accent in there at the same time that I am doing character analysis work at the same time that I'm remembering the regular lines just on their own. I guess I never really knew how to emote Helix at first other than like, once she started to have more emotions that weren't just like, oh, this is boring and I want to go have fun. Um, it's hard to maintain, like, this, like, her still being super playful, but having to deal with, you know, all of her godly drama and stuff. Um, and honestly, just, like, running it through. As the, I think, as the season went on, it became a lot easier to just, like, get into it, like, as he looks. Like, I, like, when I listened to the first couple of episodes, I'm like, ill gross. Um, as the show goes on, it's, it gets easier and easier to just be her. Uh, my greatest challenge. Uh, my greatest challenge in playing Charles <laughs> is, uh, it's a little embarrassing to admit, but it's it's uh, riding the tension between my Daniel's desire to be melodramatic and overwrought as an actor, making sure that that impulse doesn't get confused for Charles's compulsion to be melodramatic and overwrought. Um, 
because uh, for him, it's a survival technique. And for me, it's, you know, a desire to be the center of attention at all times. Um, and that's that's the strategy that I use is, is that I, I think in terms of why is Charles behaving the way that he is? Well, his stakes are much higher. Oh, there was a dog in the background. Well, in playing miscellaneous male, I do think I'd have to say that the biggest struggle is kind of the obvious one, which is that there isn't just one character to really focus on and dive into and give all my effort to. I have to keep on consistently doing that for either a different person or different people in each episode. And there's a lot of fun with that. It's a lot of fun, and I really enjoy it. Um, and in terms of strategies that I use to overcome that, I think I would have to say is just for each one, just focusing completely on the character of it and not even thinking about the voice. Because if I focus too much on making the voice sound right or different for like each like syllable, each word, I'm the it's not going to come out like a real character. It's just going to come out like... Some dude trying to do a voice. So I really just focus on the character of it and then get myself starting it with the right voice and just keep on going. Question number two. What has been your favorite episode released so far and why? I mean, there's just so much good stuff. I, I really appreciate the way that the first story is... It starts off being about let's all find out what's going on let's find this woman let's find the this pillar but that on some level it becomes much more about these three lost forgotten discarded children taking up arms in the defense of a lost and discarded child and that that's the first thing that brings all of them together and so i just really appreciate beginning that sort of thematic relationship that thematic connection between the characters Anyways, I don't have to talk about theme. My favorite episode, um, I cannot remember the exact number of it, but it was the episode where Jesse and Helix are uh, at the mayor's house and they find the extra daughter of the mayor that he doesn't want to talk about. Um, I think that that episode was pretty dope um, when it comes to showing what the relationship dynamics are going to be like um, between Jesse and Helix and the kind of work that they do together in order to make things right for other people. Um, and I think it shows a lot of Jesse's true colors and what he really cares about um, in this episode uh, pretty early on into the season. So I appreciate that as a viewer and also as a actor inside of the show. I think it's both tough and easy because in an easy way, I, I got to go with the pilot in general. But in terms of which one, it's tougher because... In 1A, it's really great to see kind of like each individual of the three leads kind of like having their own narration and their own kind of explanation and goals for like their own circumstances, even though they're all in the same area and end up in episode 1B on a kind of like a journey together as a trio. It's really like the 1A is really great for the backstory. But 1B has a lot more of the action, and then they do officially get together. So, I don't know. I think I think maybe I'd have to say 1B. Maybe because as a tiebreaker, the mayor dies, and I feel like he had to go. As much as it hurts me to say that. But 
Yeah, all right. They're all great, but I'd have to go with 1B, I think. Released? Released uh, would be 2B because people die and there's violence and shooting and that's always fun. Um, and she talks about like immortality and Jesse's immortality. And I really, really like that like monologue. Like when I performed it, I was this is this is a good one. Yes. <laughs> Question number three, and we're getting the crew in on this one. Which character would die first in a horror movie, and which character would be the sole survivor? Uh, the character that would die first in a horror movie would be Charles. Um. He's good comedic relief to get you into the movie. Um, but, you know, he's going to do something. Um, he's going to do something stupid and get himself killed pretty quickly. And I think the sole survivor, this is tough. I think the sole survivor would be Jesse. I think Jesse would be the sole survivor because I think... Helix would have a long game of setting up a contraption or something to catch the villain, but she has to man the trigger to detonate the thing that kills the villain, but she goes with it. And I think that Jesse would think he's going to do that the whole time, but because Helix is intuitive, she's just going to let him. And then at the very end, she's like, no, my boy, you got to go piece and it would be jesse and he would live to tell the tale and he would write the tale i think that in a horror movie jesse would be the first one to die just because although he has the most survival tactics out of the other two he um would end up probably sacrificing himself for the other characters and i believe that uh, Charles would be the one to survive just because at the end of the day he's the most selfish and he's the biggest con man um, and he's always looking to save himself so I think that he would definitely end up giving up Helix or sacrificing uh, all the other people in order to save himself okay well I gotta say the sole survivor it just kind it has to be Jesse because he's immortal right now I mean I don't really know what else to do about that um I think if it if Jesse was not immortal, I think he would be the first to go because he's had the people who killed his dad right in front of him and he hesitated to do anything about it. So I respect Jesse and I respect his code, but you know what? That's going to get you killed. Um, outside of that... It pains me to say it, but I think Helix would be the first to go because between the two mortals of Helix and Charles, Helix not only is new to being mortal, so things might affect her differently and she might not be used to how much certain things might hurt, but Charles is, you know, the fact of the matter is he's going to wimp out. He's going to either surrender or just find a way to kiss ass and talk his way out of things just to survive as long as he possibly can. And Helix is more likely to stand up for herself and get herself into trouble. So, yeah, being as it may, the current, circum current circumstances are that Jesse is immortal. I'd have to say he looks goes first, unfortunately. Even though we all would love for it to be Charles. All right, that was a tough one. 
Okay, if we're talking about, like, actual, like, you know, thematic cliches of, like, who dies first and who survives, then the person who dies first is probably Emmy because she's the, uh, you know, she's the sexually charged, you know, sensual character with a bad attitude. So she would die first and Helix would be the, you know, final girl character. If we are talking about things like that, if we are talking about practicality, the person who would die first would probably be Helix. <laughs> like, <laughs> Helix would probably die first. I, I, I feel pretty strongly about that. I think she would die first. Uh, Jesse would either survive or die halfway through by doing something heroic and dumb and brave and self-sacrificial. Um, and... Charles would make it second to last uh, purely out of being that character who like weasels his way to survive until, you know, fate decides otherwise for him. Um, Coda would be the, the, the lone survivor in that, <laughs> in that instance. I feel like Coda is the only one who survives at the end. Uh, final answer. <laughs> I think me or Helix, I think Helix for sure would die first if she didn't have her immortality because she'd be like oh my god that's still on over there let's let's go investigate it and then she would go die um i think i think charles would be the sole survivor because he would trick everybody into dying for him and he would survive last like i think jesse would get tricked somehow by charles even though jesse like would physically be the most capable of surviving uh, it's kind of like Train of Busan, even though that guy ended up dying, but, like, that one guy who just kept, like, emotionally manipulating people, and then he, like, survived pretty long. Yeah, that reminds me of Charles. I usually apply Cabin in the Woods rules, so in that instance, Charles would appear to be the first one down because he'd be the Fran Kranz stoner character who shows up just in time during the All is Lost moment to save Helix, who, in this instance, I guess... Helix would be the last girl or the final girl. Um, Charles would show up uh, to save her from the redneck zombie torture cultists. Question number four. Who is the objectively hottest character and why is it Emmy? Well, this one's rough because I hate to do this to all of my characters, but, um, you know... Despite the tough competition from my gruff carriage driver from the pilot, I would have to say that objectively, and I'm an honest person and I pride myself on that, objectively the hottest character is Emmy. Because, I mean, and I really I feel like it's kind of obvious because, I mean, it's kinda, it speaks for itself, and you could say she speaks for herself, um... No one, unless they know for a fact that they're the hottest shit to roam the universe, is going to talk like that. I'm sorry, but it's just true. No one's going to talk like that if they are not absolute hot shit and that's it. It really, like, there's no fighting it. The confidence within that, you know that she knows it. Plus, it seems like, you know, it seems like Emmy gave Helix some shit for quite a long time and Helix stuck around, so... There's always going to be a reason for that. So, hate to say it, but it's Emmy. Okay, I do genuinely think it's probably Emmy, but I don't know. Isn't Charles supposed to be, like, 
like young though like he's not actually an old man he just has like white hair i don't know i've never seen a young man with like white hair that might be attractive i'm not sure but yeah i mean that means cute i guess i guess Um, so it is Emmy because, <laughs> um, because it, those are kind of just the rules of the universe that we live in, in this, uh, in this place. Um, the rules are that Emmy just is the hottest. That's just how it is. Um, but if we're bringing it from the, an outsider's point of view, I think that probably Helix would be the hottest after Emmy just because uh, she's a goddess and um, yeah I feel like gods are usually portrayed as like these perfect uh, perfect-esque I guess uh, human beings um, that are not human so if they're beyond being human then I would I would assume that they are also like infinitely more attractive than the rest of the humans here plus Jesse and Charles are like outside people. They do stuff outside all the time. So I'm assuming that their skin is probably not that great because of the sun and all of that, this, that, and the third. So, yep. Emmy is hot the way that like a predatory wasp or like a parasitic wasp is hot. You know, Emmy is hot the way that, that um, Hexus from Ferngully is hot. Um, Emmy is hot the way we all think we want to be hot until we arrive at that hotness and see that we've burned away all the bridges we thought we were building to get there. So I'm going to give it to the Dakota, the bird. Because magic birds are sexy, right? <laughs> to be fair, Emmy's description, like character description, when we gave it to the artist and in like whenever we would write it down was uh small blonde hot h-a-w-t so i think yeah evie's definitely one of the hottest characters by far that's canon absolutely i think all of our characters are hot i think charles is hot i think jesse's hot i think helix is hot i think evie's hot but <laughs> considering the fact that i went with a sexy voice and i specifically wrote her as someone that i would probably have a crush on um even though i shouldn't i would say spectra is probably the hottest character and nobody else really stands against her in that sense. The hottest character, objectively, is... JT? Oh, one second. JT, what are you telling? JT, you're telling them I'm hot, right? Um... Hello? Emmy, it's Emmy. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. I, uh, uh -huh. I would never argue otherwise. Yeah. Um, but if I had to, I'd say DJ Furtrap. Alright, moving on to some questions exclusively for the crew. Question five, what has been your greatest challenge in writing the show and what strategies do you use to overcome it? I remember that way back when and stuff, like episode two-ish, um, one of the biggest challenges was for episode two, at that point, I think JT had written all but one of the Charles scenes. So I still had no idea how to write Charles. So episode two was really difficult because I was writing Charles's voice for the first time and trying not to mess it up. Another challenge in the writing process in general was just um, confidence in the material, I would say, early, early on. And I'm talking like that first script that I wrote without JT. Um, 
like the first developmental script. None of us had written a podcast before, an audio drama before. So figuring out a lot of the nuts and bolts of how to deliver the information that needed to be delivered, that was one of the biggest challenges, I would say, for the writing. What strategies do you use to overcome it? Research. I'm a big fan of research. <laughs> I, uh, I really think that the best way to get around a problem is to kind of dive deep into potential solutions that other people have found in the past and uh, stitching together from those solutions your own and communicating with like my team JT and Anne you know I feel like we talked through a lot of like those early on issues um that we had with like formatting like what the fight scenes would look like what travel would look like what the characters voices would be who the characters are and all that stuff so just talking through things and talking th through things, researching through things, and writing through things. I think those are like the main three ways to get past most challenges when it comes to writing. And by writing through things, I mean just like sucking it up and being like, okay, I'm just gonna see what happens. <laughs> and whatever happens, you know, um, will hopefully get you towards a solution. The greatest challenge in writing Radio Outcast has to be trying to get across environment in audio drama. Uh, and one of the strategies I found most useful was sort of, sort of training a writerly muscle memory by looking at photographs and talking out loud, trying to describe them in a way that I thought was detailed and effective. Um, and that was especially useful whenever we would write about, because uh, they're all about real places in the show. Um, they're based on real places. So looking at the mesas of New Mexico or the deserts of Arizona, um, old photographs of Salt Lake City, um, the crater, the craters of the moon in Idaho. And then, of course, old forts um, in America. And, and talking about them out loud to myself at the computer, describing them, grabbing a thesaurus sometimes, um, and also looking up descriptions of those places written by other people and taking inspiration. Question six, and this one's just for JT. What's your favorite part of the sound designing process? My favorite part of the sound design process, I have two, I can't really pick. The first one is the complete joyride of finding the sounds. So the script will say, um, a glass breaks, and then people laugh. And finding, locating those sounds or making them sometimes, people on the team will sometimes record our own foley or our own laughter and piece it together. And it's always an experiment. That's never the same. I try not to really reuse those sort of sounds because the audience is intelligent and they'll know. Um, so that's always a blast. And then the other part is the notes process whenever the draft is done and it's sent to the rest of the team. Um, you get a brand new set of ears, two sets of new ears. Uh, new ears, that's Anne and Fernanda, they go through, they listen, and then they have creative input or problem solving 
that I would have never considered, and it makes an episode that otherwise might have been a C or C plus into something that feels like an A. Question seven, this one's just for Fernanda. What's your favorite part of directing? Well, I'm fairly new to directing. Directing was like, honestly, the scariest part of this whole production for me, um, personally. I've really enjoyed it though. I, um, so the thing about directing that I've figured out through this entire process is that, you know, this is purely a collaborative form and not just that, but like directing is like, Hey, let's collaborate. Like what, here are my ideas, but what I really want to hear are your ideas, right? JT and I have written the show together and we spent like basically a year and a half by ourselves really formulating through a lot of like character stuff, plot stuff, like interiority, thematic things, research, all of that stuff. But once we came down to recording in the directing portion, and this was something that we always wanted was what do the actors think? What do the actors feel the characters feel? How do the characters feel their way through a scene? How does the actor feel their way through a scene? And that's hands down like my favorite part of the directing bit. It's probably why whenever we finish the scene, I always ask the actors, how do they feel about their performance and about the scene? Um, Because I want to hear their thoughts and I want to see where their thoughts take us in a different direction or where their thoughts take us into a deeper place with the character as well, right? Because I'm used to juggling in the writing phase, right? I was used to juggling a bunch of different characters. In the directing phase, I'm juggling actors, but the actors are deeply, deeply invested in one, maybe two characters per episode, which means they're thinking about them a lot closer than I have in a while, most likely, right? I have my intentions with the writing. JT has his intentions with the writing, but the cool part about directing is saying, hey, what does the actor think? What does the actor make of all of this stuff, right? Because with all writing, it's 50% what's on the page and 50% what comes out of that page, you know? And whether that's in prose and somebody's reading, you know, writing and being like, oh, this is what I'm bringing to the table. Or like here with directing and acting, it's what ideas are we sharing right now? What ideas are we bringing to the writing? And it's really cool because being in the director's seat, I get to see that and I get to sort of help all of us kind of come to a consensus and come to a place where all of those ideas mesh together which I think is, is, is really cool. I, I don't know. I've really been enjoying directing. I hope all of that made sense. <laughs> hey, folks. JT here, the other co-creator. Uh, thanks so much for listening to our very first Q&A. If you'd like to contribute questions to our next Q&A, please send along your questions to our Instagram or our Twitter. Uh, you can find the links to those on our website, www.radiooutcast.com. And make sure to join me and Fernanda as we stream for the remainder of the month of June. Every Friday, we're doing some kooky fun stuff. Uh, Like Fernanda said, we're doing some cooking this Friday. 
we can put together an audio drama, but can we put together a single meal? Uh, the answer may be more surprising than you think. Okay, safe travels. Mm-hmm.